Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, folks. 2020 has, to put it mildly, presented some challenges for all of us. You know, the good news, our patrons' numbers are still growing, almost daily. I truly, truly cannot thank all of you enough for your support. It's been overwhelming. And for those of you who've had to reassess your budgets, please know, I totally get it. And I will always be grateful for your belief in this program and the power of great content. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tack box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Our patrons make all of this possible. The funds are specifically designated only for overhead. They literally keep the MP3s rolling. Meanwhile, the patrons-only After Dark Facebook Live and Zoom meetings each month truly have been a fabulous success. Conversation, support, laughter, some education, some mentorship, lots of encouragement, and even, randomly, the occasional adult beverage. So click the link at www.puredogtalk.com and become a patron today. Your small contribution helps make a huge voice for purebred dogs. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have a really fun guest today, you guys. This is a little something outside our norm, but I think you guys are going to get a real kick out of it. I'm talking today to Brett Cody. And he is the owner of That'll Do, which is a photography business. And his job is taking action shots of dogs and particularly in the herding arena. But he has some amazing insight and ideas for us about how we can get good action photos of our dogs. So I thought that was a really fun, you know, it's summertime. We all want to get good shots of our dogs. So, Brett, welcome. And I'm really excited to talk to you about this. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Thank you. Excellent. So, hey, give us the 411. How'd you get started in this? That'll do, obviously, a herding term. So I assume Border Collies are another herding breed. Yes, Border Collies and Kelpies predominantly. But every so often, there's a few lesser known breeds that attempt. And I root for them as much as I do for anybody else. Right. Kind of accidentally fell into the herding thing. My mom called me up one day and said, did you know there's a national event that happens in Oregon? And I said, no, I had no idea. And she goes, you want to go see it? I go, sure. That was 2009, I think. And the national finals for the sheepdog herding competition was happening in Klamath Falls. Oh, Klamath Falls. I know they've had them in Glide. I didn't know it was in Klamath that year. How cool is that? (laughs) It was in Klamath in 2009. It was in Klamath in 2012, and then they moved it down to California. It was in Alturas mm-hmm. in 15 and 18. Very cool. I also kind of fell in love with it. I love watching intelligent dogs make intelligent decisions. Right. That's what trips my trigger. I love to watch dogs work, and the work ethic of a border collie is absolutely flipping amazing. 
It is. It is. It's <laughs> a little bit terrifying for those of us who don't own them. We're like, wow. <laughs> I am told that the Border Collie is one of the most rescued dogs because yeah. people don't understand what it is to have a dog with purpose in their life. Yes. And the maintenance and the activity that they must uphold. Yes. That work ethic translates. <laughs> yes, it does. And as someone who raises a breed who's similar type of thing, smarter than their own good, super high drive, ton of energy and ton of work ethic, I get it. And I understand why the Border Collie people have trouble because in my breed, we have trouble too, for the same basic reasons. I understand. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get involved then in actually doing the photography on this? I had photography as a hobby way back when, and I don't go anywhere without my camera pretty much. Right. And one thing led to another, and it turns out that I got pretty good at taking action shots. And I am told I am one of the most prolific trial photographers out there. The name gets around, the things get around. Right. I actually cover Washington, Oregon, Northern California, Salt Lake City for one of the trials. Mm-hmm. I go into Colorado. I go into Utah. I cover a lot of turf to cover these trials. Right. And you show up a lot and all of a sudden you got a lot of friends. Well, you know, that is a thing. And it happens in the dog show world too, right? <laughs> like we love pictures of our dogs doing what we do with them. Yes. And if you have an ability to capture that and capture it well, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a thing. So you're doing photography that is very action-based. And I think, well, taking a still photo is not always a piece of cake. It has a little more give to it than action. A little more flexibility. Yep. Yes. So let's talk specifically about that and the concept of shooting dogs in action. And you had sent me some stuff that I thought was just really, really smart. And for those of us who are not professional photographers and don't have $5,000 cameras, that could still take a good picture if we knew some of these skills and some of these ideas. Hints and tips. Yep. Well, okay. So I've reorganized things just a slight bit. And I would like to start off with the two or three ideas that are really effective for static shots or staged shots. Right. Just to get everybody included. Okay. My first tip is to get down at eye level. Mm -hmm. It is amazing what perspective will do to a picture. And if you get to see the dog at the dog's eye level, you have a much better picture from the get-go. Yes. Number two recommendation, pay attention to your background. If you have a light dog, pick a dark background. If you have a dark dog, pick a light background. It can be the shrubbery in the shade or the shrubbery in the sun. Mm -hmm. Just pick your background. Pay attention to your background. And also, I think in the pay attention to your background, I think about things at a dog show primarily, right? Yes. And those are hard. Oh, they're terrible because there's always a porta potty or somebody yes. sitting inappropriately and indelicately just behind your dog, right? So yes. I really think that pay attention to your background piece is a really super good piece of advice. Oh, it's critical. And yes, there is a thing called Photoshop and we can fix almost anything. But if you don't have to fix it, a few seconds of consideration can save a picture. So yep. yes, absolutely. And then, again, for the static things, my secret weapon is a $1 squeaky toy. Yes. The kicker to the squeaky toy is the dog can't see where the sound is coming from. So hide it. Put it behind your back. Put it under your arm. Take the little plastic squeaky out of the squeaky toy and put it in your mouth. And you can blow through it. And you can make all kinds of expressions with the squeaky toy. I like the idea of blow through the squeaky toy. Now, I had never thought of that. It's a little plastic reed. 
it's tiny. You can hold it in your teeth and you can still talk. Right. So you just put it in your mouth and get everything set up before you make a noise. Right. What's going to happen when you make the noise is the dog is going to sit up straighter, the ears are going to perk, and he's going to look for the noise. Right. And if he's looking into the camera, that's good. If he starts looking around the room for the noise, that's less than good. Doesn't mean it's a bad shot. It just means it's just not the one you were shooting for. It depends on the dog. So in dog shows, we want profile pictures of dogs all the time. There you go. Okay. So that hard profile... I want them to not look at me. I want them to look straight forward. So I like the idea. I mean, we have had success doing static shots at a dog show. My success is have someone stand where I want the dog looking and make a small movement or walk away or drop to a knee or whatever it is I need the dog to do with its body. And I hate it when the toy is thrown because I have bird dogs and they want to chase it. You just spent all that time and energy getting them set up, yep. and now you do it again. Yep. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> all right. Very good. So let's go into action stuff. Every photographer has heard this a hundred times, but you support a fence post, a friend's shoulder. The steadier you make the camera, the easier right. it is for the camera to get the shot that you want. Right. Autofocus is an amazing tool these days. And the technology for autofocus has come an awful long way in the last decade. But why not help the camera out the best you can? Right. Steady it out. We have all seen the videos that make us nauseous when we watch them. Yes. Don't do that to your camera. (laughs) I like it. And so before we get too much further down, I want to give listeners an idea about the type of equipment you're working with and any suggestions you might have for someone who doesn't have that super high-end gear bag. I am using a Canon camera. It's the Canon's professional version of a crop sensor. It's a 7D Mark II. And I picked that very purposefully because I don't want a full sensor. I want as many pixels possible on the subject as I want a high pixel density. And that comes with a crop sensor. Okay. Everybody is goggling over the full sensor technology. And I'm going to crop away a lot of the picture. Right. And so a lot of those pixels on the edges that I'm going to crop out That's just less pixels I have for the picture. If I don't take them in the first place, all the pixels I need are right there on the dog. Okay. That's really interesting. That's just my own personal view, Mm -hmm. but it is what it is. And I very much like my crop sensors. Right. And do you have special, like an extra big long lens, or I assume you work with a tripod, you know, all of that kind of stuff that helps you get exactly what you're looking for? I have a very expensive tripod that works very well. I have a gimbal mount on my tripod, which gimbals are wonderful things. (laughs) All the difference in the world. Yes. All the difference in the world. It's not having to fight your tripod and your support is key. And a gimbal, there are some inexpensive gimbals on eBay, $79. Mm-hmm. And explain to people, I've used it obviously with video and stuff during the podcast, but explain to folks exactly what this is allowing you to do. It gives you a joint, basically. It gives me free motion of the lens. Wherever I point the lens, I don't have any mechanical things to adjust. I don't have any locks to unlock. The lens is supported at its pivot point. I can pivot left and right. I can pivot up and down without restrictions, but the lens is still supported. I'm shooting a 13-pound lens. I can handhold it for seconds, Mm -hmm. put it up on a tripod. If I use a standard ball head, it flops over. 
Right. It collapses on you, and you have to lock it down to get it to do what you need it to do. I can't shoot lockdown. I have to shoot freedom. And the gimbal, the gimbal supports the weight of the lens so that the lens becomes weightless. And wherever you point the body, the lens just points and swings, and it gives you a lot of freedom to move the lens where the lens needs to move. And so, so many of us today, I mean, I grew up as a newspaper reporter shooting my dad's Pentax hard body camera on film in black and white for the newspaper. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I had to do my own F-stops and all of those things. And Cameras have come a long way, and now I have an iPhone, and that's all I need. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) I am going to assume that a lot of what you're talking about, what we're going to talk about today in the action shots, will, as basic principles, translate even as far to the lowly iPhone. I'm going to try to help and put things in (laughs) phrases to include everybody as much as possible. Very cool. I mean, the eye level, all of that stuff is very much about no matter what your tool is. The act of taking the picture, not what you're taking it with. Correct. I do have a section of highly technical photography speak, but I'm going to try to hold that (laughs) off to the end. Maybe we'll put that in the blog post. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got our background and we've got our eye level. And now we're working on a dog that's running around, being adorable, doing whatever it is that dogs do, hurting a sheep or retrieving a duck or running agility or whatever action we want them to do. Chasing a frisbee, chasing a tennis ball, whatever. Be aware of your light source. Try to put the sun at your back. Mm -hmm. You don't want to shoot into the shadows. You want eye color. Eye color comes with sunlight. And so you don't want to have to fight the shadows. So do your best to put the sun at your back. For me, the pictures that I am looking for is dog in stress. And I don't mean that in a bad way. In the negative way, right? No, this was a really interesting observation. I want you to expound on this. When I read that, I was like, that totally makes sense. When the dog is forced to think, Mm -hmm. for me, it's when he's coming up against unruly sheep and they aren't following his directions or her directions. And as long as everything is going smoothly, it's a very boring shot. But when the sheep get cantankerous or when the dog has to stop and think, think about if you're pitching a tennis ball, watching the dog track that ball through the air. The stance is all four and fully ready and ready to go, and they're tracking that ball, and then the ball hits the ground and bounces, and the dog, it's too fast, the dog can't track it. And so for a moment there, the dog is in stress trying to figure out where did the ball go. Those facial expressions are wonderful. Right. It shows absolute character and the thinking process. The purpose. The dog running after the ball, he has purpose. The dog running back with the ball, he's kind of loping along. He's got his quarry. He's not so excited. It's not such the shot. Mm -hmm. So if you're throwing a frisbee or throwing a ball and trying to get action shots of your dog, have somebody else throw the ball towards in your direction. Right. See if you can get that dog running flat out straight at you or straight at the lens and then watch for the dog's head you know the dog will turn and look the dog will try to find the ball those stress points those points make good pictures awesome hang tight guys got a little bit of information for you we'll be right back to the podcast in a minute embark is a proud sponsor of pure dog talk dna testing is rapidly growing amongst breeders and given the importance of these test results to the health of not only each dog, but also that of future generations of dogs. 
At Embark, they believe it's critical to provide transparency in their testing methods that result in more than 99.99% accuracy for health tests. Embark's innovative testing platform enables the hundreds of genetic health and traits test results provided in Embark's products, while also creating research-ready data for use by canine health organizations and scientists. Embark's methods exceed industry quality control standards by also checking the breed, sex, and relatives of every sample to ensure DNA samples are correctly labeled and unique identity is recorded. In addition to quality control, this helps fraud prevention by ensuring the same dog can't be tested multiple times without Embark knowing. At Embark, they're proud of their world-class canine DNA testing service, and they're committed to continually raising the bar. They're on a mission to provide breeders and all dog owners with the high level of accuracy they need to optimize their breeding programs, manage the lifetime care of their dogs, and improve the health of future generations of dogs. Check out Embark's link at puredogtalk.com and enter the code PUREDOGTALK at checkout for $20 off DNA tests for breeders. Okay, what's next on your list? If you're on a trial field, or if you're on an agility field, you know where those stress points are going to be, those turns, oh, yeah. the events. Try to set yourself up so that you can get a picture of the dog contemplating, thinking, approaching the stress point. You want the face. One of the things that happens time and time and time and time again, I'll go to a field, somebody will be out there with a camera, banging away, having a good time, but they're taking shots of the dog on the outrun, and all they have are dog tail. <laughs> People tail. There's no faces in those pictures. Right. I guarantee you, you can save a lot of time and save a lot of work by not taking bad pictures. <laughs> And pictures of people and dogs' behinds is usually not considered a good one. You're not going to keep them. Right. It doesn't show you anything about the sport. It doesn't show you anything about the day. It doesn't show you anything about the people. It doesn't show you anything about the dogs. My rule is if there isn't an eye in the picture from your main subject, it's not worth pushing the button. And that's a great rule because to me, photography Basic bottom line is a picture's worth a thousand words. So if that picture doesn't tell a story that is a thousand words long, what's the point? Exactly. And the eyes are the windows to the soul. You know, there's your story. The story is in the eyes. Right. Be sure to capture the eyes. I like that a lot. So now that's pretty much the story about shooting the animals. Now it comes down to kind of what you're shooting it with. Right. I firmly believe that you should learn the tool that you have. doesn't matter whether it's an iPhone or a phone, Android, or a point-and-shoot or a full-blown camera. Learn the tool that you have. Learn its capabilities. Push its capabilities. Push your capabilities. The more you learn, the more you learn what can happen, the more you can do. Right. And at some point, one of these days, you will outgrow the tool you have. And by the time you outgrow the tool that you have, you will know what the next tool you want is, what the capabilities will be, what it needs to have, what the minimums of that next tool will be. And that's your upgrade path. Right. I am not a fan of classes. So many classes are teachers teaching you how to be 
little thems. <laughs> and what you need to learn is how to be a better you. You know what? That applies to so many things in life. That's relatively profound. <laughs> I actually quite like that. Okay, so don't take a class. Get a camera and go take pictures of stuff. Yes. I actually got that from trainers. One of the local trainers here specifically trains people how to be a better handler for their ability and their levels. And for them, he doesn't train them how to be just as successful as he was by the same patterns. He takes the patterns that they have and strengthens the patterns that they have. And so that was Sheepdog Handling 101 for me. Some of the top handlers in the nation, they also teach. And some of the top handlers teach all of their students how to be just like them. Right. And this guy doesn't. When I witnessed that, I was awestruck. I thought this guy was golden. Mm-hmm. And that was a lesson I've taken ever since. As I said, that is very profound and applies to dog handling in the show ring, in agility, in obedience, or taking a picture. Like I said, I think that's actually pretty profound. Not a smaller them. Yep, I like it. And so do your own homework. The internet is there to help ask it a question. <laughs> you don't want one viewpoint. You want many viewpoints to pick from. And the more viewpoints you hear, the more viewpoints you learn from, the better and more rounded person you will become at whatever skill it is you're trying to achieve. And so work. Learning is work. Do the work. And in the end, you will become a very well-rounded, very well-educated person in whatever it is that you've chosen to study. We thought this was about photography, and it's really about life. Listeners, (laughs) I'm here to tell you, how often does this happen to us? I love this. This is absolutely fabulous. So let's say I can't afford anything else. I've got how many hundreds of dollars wrapped up in my iPhone. Sure. And I am just trying to take a cute picture of Fluffy being adorable. And so I want to recap because I think it's really important. Get on Fluffy's level. Yes. Get Fluffy looking at you, not Fluffy's bottom. (laughs) Make sure the light's right. Make sure the background's right. What am I missing? push the button and it's all good. (laughs) And, you know, you had another thing that you talked about that I thought was so on point. And we see it in dog shows. We see it in all kinds of things. Spray and pray. (laughs) (laughs) And you talked about how you did bursts instead of just like hold your thumb on the shutter that I thought was really, really useful and applicable in any situation, in any tool that you have in your toolbox that you're working with. Shall I deliver the whole story or shall I cut it down? (laughs) We'll just focus on that one part. (laughs) Okay. A friend of mine, a photographer from back in the film days, Mm -hmm. was picking on me because I would use my technology. Now I can take up to 10 frames a second. And I guarantee you that taking 10 frames a second is an awful lot of work later on. Yes. Simply deleting files takes an amazing amount of time. Mm -hmm. So again, back to not taking the bad pictures to save all of the time and effort. He was saying that when he was in the film cameras, you got one shot. That's right. And if you didn't get it on that one shot, you had to manually advance the roll of film and wait for that moment again. Trust me, been there, done that. (laughs) It is entirely possible to train your body to get that shot that you need. Yes. And keep the brain out of overthinking all of this stuff. Set the camera up in advance. Make sure that your settings are where you need your settings to be. Your tool is going to work the way you expect the tool to work. Then wait for the moment and then 
take the brain out of the equation, let your finger do the thinking, and your finger will take the right moment much easier, much better, much more effective than having the brain try to overthink and then miss the moment. Mm-hmm. And I thought really good advice, anticipate the moment, right? Like be ready for the moment to happen. You know the field, you know where the stressor points are going to be, you know the behaviors of what the dog is going to exhibit before the stress happens. I know when the dogs are getting frustrated with the sheep. I know those behaviors, those indicators. I know before the dog blows up that the dog is getting to the point of frustration. Right. And so when I see those behaviors, I perk up. My ears set up a little bit straighter. I sit up a little straighter and I get ready to push the button. And then when the dog decides that he's going to teach these sheep a lesson, I'm ready for it. Whatever the action is going to be, you learn the predictors. Right. Pay attention, you know, and then go. Now, with all that being said, I still do spray and pray. I still do take a burst of three. Which isn't entirely spray and pray. That's like modified spray and pray. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) But I will tell you, even back in the film days, we did what was called bracketing. Yes. You take a picture, you change your f-stop, you take another one, you change your f-stop the other direction. And that was how you bracketed to know that at least something was going to be close to the focus, to the light, to the whatever. And bracketing is still used today. You can bracket for exposure. You can bracket for f-stop and depth of field. You can absolutely bracket. Right. But in a minute, when we talk about why you don't need to bracket or how to not need to bracket, what I'm bracketing for in short term, I'm trying to get the stride right. What I've learned is that in pictures of dogs in motion, where the legs are is important. Yeah. And I don't have the faith in my finger to outthink the stride of the dog. It's happening too quickly. It's not something that I can predict. So I'll shoot in bursts of three and take the better stride. And sometimes the dog has his eyes closed. Sometimes, you know, other things happen. Unpredictable, unknown things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'll take a bracket of three shots and I can choose the best of the three, throw the other two out, and away I go. And so much easier than just holding on your shutter for how long and you've got one out of a thousand that works, right? (laughs) In the end of the day, you're there to get successful photos. Right. And you kind of judge your success by how many failures you've had. You know, oh, I've got a 25% keeper rate. I've got a 10% keeper rate. I've got a 50% keeper rate. Mm -hmm. I tend to care about my keeper rate. And it's not that I'm taking cautious photos, you know, oh, this isn't going to be a great photo, but I'd rather have something than nothing. Right. That's just being cautious. But when the action gets busy and things are moving fast and furious and you don't have time to think, you really do have to get the head out of there. You really do have to get things working before that moment. So Mm -hmm. when that moment happens, that moment can be as successful as possible. And it's many times that in my burst of three, I get three good shots. Mm -hmm. Then it's just a matter of All the hair is in place. I can see every strand of hair. I got good eye color. I can get all of that. And then it's just a matter of, okay, I like the foot here better than I like the foot there. Mm -hmm. There's my keeper and away I go. Nice. It's nice when you can pick that way instead of, this is absolute junk. This is even out of focus. This is blah, (laughs) blah, 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 blah. The best of very good is always better than the only thing I managed to get that I can tolerate. Exactly. 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 All right. So in closing, we're getting down to the end of our time period here. If you could give one, like the most important 
tip, the most important thing to remember when you're trying to take a great action picture of your dog. Single most important thing. Camera technical information. High shutter speed. Yes. You need a high shutter speed. I try to shoot at a thousandth of a second or faster. If I can, I'll shoot at two thousandths of a second. Mm -hmm. It covers a lot of mistakes. <laughs> it covers for camera shake. It covers for camera motion. It covers for a lot of mistakes. So shoot the fastest shutter speed you can. Yep. We used to always shoot fast film. Back in the film days, there was fast film and regular film. Yep. And you need to have some additional knowledge to support that fast shutter speed. Right. There's histograms and shoot to the right histogram styles and shoot raw. But in the end, it's the fast shutter speed that is the one secret to getting good stopping power on action shots. On action shots. All right. I love this. This is fabulous. I know that all of my people are going to go out there with whatever their tool is and try and get great shots of their dogs this summer. So this has been fabulous. All tools can be successful. Yeah. I can tell you one of the greatest photographs of all time that I ever took from ever of photography was with an iPhone. <laughs> I just, you know, caught it just right. The best camera in the world is the one you have with you. Exactly. Well, and I think being able to compose in your head, right? Like that's what you're talking about, the background and the right. light and all of those things. And as you do that, I think you get better at doing that composition in your head, don't you? The more mistakes you make, the fewer you end up making later. Right. I always learn by getting things wrong faster <laughs> than I ever learned by getting things right. Yet another profound life statement. <laughs> <laughs> So run out there and make lots of mistakes. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, Brett, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much. Take care. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.